This is a podcast from BFM 89.9, the business station. The BFM Breakfast Grill, connecting you to the top people and ideas. Powered by U Mobile. 5G makes business sense. Good morning, you're listening to The Breakfast Grill. I'm Shazana Mukhtar. According to the International Energy Agency, energy accounts for more than three quarters of global greenhouse gas emissions, with oil and gas operations alone making up 15% of that pie. Is there a pathway for the energy sector to achieve the ambitious target of net zero emissions by 2050? What's the role of technology in paving the way? And more importantly, is there political will in the sector to reach these goals? Joining me to discuss the challenges and opportunities as we move towards a low-carbon future is Brandon Spencer, president of ABB Energy Industries. ABB is a Swiss-Swedish engineering and technology conglomerate. Brandon, good morning. Welcome to The Breakfast Grill. Thank you very much. It's a pleasure to be here on The Breakfast Grill here in uh, Kuala Lumpur. So I'd like to start with maybe getting a sense of uh, ABB as a company overall. It is a sprawling engineering and technology business uh, covering four main areas. There's electrification, there's motion, process automation, and robotics. And then this is further divided into 20 divisions, one of them being energy industries that you lead. So maybe you can give us a sense of the business that you oversee, which is under the process automation umbrella, where that sits and how it works. Sure. Yeah, so I have the pleasure to lead energy industries. We're in about 40-plus countries, uh, 9,000 people or so, uh, a part of ABB's over 100,000 employee base. And my business is really focused on automating, digitalizing, and electrifying heavy industry. So we cover oil and gas, chem and refining, LNG, power, water, wastewater, uh, pharmaceutical all these sort of uh, different industries, and really just trying to be a a great supplier to those to help them run their operations more efficiently. What are the main services that you provide in its essence? What kind of solution do energy players turn to you for? Yeah, the best way I describe it is when I talk to my kids. I've got a 15-year-old and 13-year-old, and I talk to them about we do the hearts, brains, and veins of facilities. So the brains is the automation, the computer systems, the software that runs these facilities and helps it operate. Uh, kind of the veins is all the electrical distribution equipment, the power. So from your outlet and your wall to the incoming substation that you drive by uh, in your cars, uh, bringing the electricity to it. And then the heart is kind of the movers, the motors and drives and all these things that are pushing or, or, or moving product around. And, and so ABB is really uh, one or two in the market space across all of the hearts, brains and veins of these facilities. It's somewhat ironic that um, your major customers are from the oil and gas industry, given that one of ABB's overarching 2030 sustainability goals is enabling a low carbon society. So how do you square that mission with reality, given, as mentioned, that these businesses account for some 70 percent of global greenhouse gas emissions? Yeah, I think I mean, we're, we're uh, broader than just oil and gas. So I think energy, oil and gas probably accounts for 15 plus percent of ABB's overall revenues. So we're in uh, auto manufacturing. We're in pharmaceuticals, we're in data centers, we're in uh, EV is a big part of our business, the marine business, utility business, these sort of things. So um, I, I think, uh, first off, we're, we're pretty diverse in terms of what the industries are that we serve. Secondly, our job is to help every one of these customers, regardless of what industry they're in, do it more efficiently, use less energy, have better output, do it in a safer way. Um, and, uh, and so I think that traverses any industries, and I think that's certainly how it squares with trying to help the world achieve a lower footprint. Uh, my business specifically talks about net additions with lower emissions. 
um, the world will consume more energy. How do we do it in a more efficient way? And I think that's where our technology comes into play. Talk to me a little bit about that. What are the technologies um, that you see that are going to be a game changer um, in the drive to net zero? And where are we at this stage? I mean, I think we're still on the the bottom part of the curve. Uh, there's a there's a huge commitment to net zero that you see from governments, that you see from industry, shareholders, activists. I mean, uh, you can't have a conversation now without talking about digital things, net or net zero uh, solutions. And so, what we see, if you take automation, I mean, easy way to uh, to kind of help your your listeners identify autonomous cars. We talk a lot about self driving cars and these sort of things. Well, we're moving towards autonomous. Plants, And so we're trying to build more automation in that helps these plants run more efficiently, take people out of harm's way, uh, and these sort of things. So certainly automation is one. Um, digital solutions, if we can optimize things, we like to say in ABB, the greenest unit of en energy is the one you don't consume. Right, so we, we talk all the time about what we could do differently, technology, et cetera. Well, if we don't use a, a unit of energy, that's the greenest we can be. Okay. And so optimizing their systems to reduce the power consumption. Um, and, and these sort of things. And then there's groundbreaking technologies that we have that we're investing in. So we like to uh, try and put money into different technology companies, um, kind of hard to abate sector. So uh, what can we electrify? A lot of the world is talking about electrifying processes. Well, if we can electrify some things that traditionally use fossil fuels, you can lower footprints by 60, 70, 80 percent in order to still produce the same um, byproduct. And, and so we're investing a lot in different technologies and happy to touch on those if you think it would be of interest for your listeners. Let's do that because I think um, some of the things mentioned in your notes are things like subsea electrification, green hydrogen, carbon capture and storage. Um, you know how you said that it's still very nascent. What's the timeline that you're looking at, you think, for these to actually make a broader impact? Everything seems to be still in the pioneering stage, yeah. very experimental. Yeah. Yeah. Will we ever get to a point where these will actually make a difference in achieving 2050 goals? Yeah, I think we have to, uh, first off, in order to achieve those goals. And so some of them are more developed than others. If you take subsea uh, electrification, um, which is what we're doing on the Yan subsea project off the coast of Australia, uh, that's taking gas turbines off of the top side. It's powering it from shore using partly renewable energy. And so you're lowering the footprint. So they're still producing the same amount of oil and gas offshore, but they're doing it in a greener way. That's a great example. I mean, to me, it's an and equation, not an or equation. People want to talk about we have to get rid of fossil fuels. You know, I, do, I don't believe that's realistic. Um, I think if you look out to 2050, any of the, even the most aggressive estimates would say probably 50% of the energy value chain still comes from some sort of fossil fuel. But it's about getting that other 50% up faster. And so if you look at technology, you talked about green hydrogen. We've invested in uh, some electrolyzer technology that can help it scale. So instead of being pilots, like you touched on, and kind of feasibility and, and early development, how do we get to scale where it's hundreds of megawatts or gigawatts and, and we can really have a, a commercially viable product? Carbon capture, it's been around for a long time. Now companies are trying to commercialize it. And governments and things are putting in incentives or, or taxes or penalties penalties or whatever it is in order to kind of stimulate that investment. And so all of those things, I think it's kind of that this whole, the word it gets overused, ecosystem, but it is this whole ecosystem that it, it, it's not just a vendor or just a customer, or just a government or just a consumer. It's all of us mm. that play a role. But I think, uh, 
you know, answer to your question, we will get there. Uh, the industry is serious about it. And I think there's technologies that can can really have an impact. There is a lot of skepticism among climate activists about the sincerity of big oil and big energy and sure. championing these technologies. Some view this uh, as, um, I think, a means of prolonging the use of fossil fuels. And you kind of affirm that by saying that fossil fuels are here to stay and, uh, you know, we're still going to you were still going to be mining for them. So how would you tackle these kinds of suspicions about yeah. the energy industry, um, you know, which you sure. are closely associated with? Yeah, I mean, I've been in the indus- industry for 22 years. You know, my whole career uh, I've been in the industry, whether it's power generation or oil and gas. Uh, and I think we start with education. So let, let's just make sure we all have the same starting baseline in order to have informed discussions and, and fairly challenge each other. Um, but, you know, the world consumes over 100 million barrels of oil per day. That doesn't switch off overnight. All of the infrastructure, the gas stations, planes, uh, industry, how it all works, the distribution systems, all of that is built around fossil fuels. Uh, and so now, OK, we're going to go to EV, let's say, on the car side. You know, there's 1.1 billion combustion engine, 1.1 plus billion combustion engine vehicles in the world. There's 7 million hybrid or, or EV. Um, and so, OK, that doubles. It's 14. It doubles again. It's 28. It doubles again. It's 56. It doubles again. It's 112 million still of one point some billion. And so it's, it's a process. And, uh, and so I think that's where we have to have the discussion is, hey, what can we do? What are consumers willing to pay? Uh, because I think there is a, a some burden that falls on the consumer, uh, whether it's utility prices or more for raw materials or, or whatever it is. Um, you know, there's some studies, especially in the U.S. where I live, uh, that says, hey, would you pay more for a car that has green steel? A lot of consumers haven't moved to that point where they're willing to pay more for something. Well, that, that's probably going to have to be part of the discussion, mm. uh, because at the beginning of these cost curves, it may cost more to manufacture something. But once we can get the technology to scale, the adoption there, some of these um, tax environments or incentive environments in place like the IRA or the Green Deal in Europe and uh, in Malaysia, I know they've announced an energy transition plan. Uh, once we can get those things up to scale, I think it will have that impact. And, and so uh, it's going to be a, a gradual change. Um, it's an evolution, a little bit more than a revolution. Can we afford an evolution, though, when what we need is a revolution, it's arguable? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I think we can because the speed is, is what matters. So the technology, I think, is there in order to have an impact now. And so... Uh, can we get to the one and a half degrees or is it 1.7 or 1.3 or what is it and how fast does it happen? I mean, let's see how that plays out. But I, I do think that the industry is serious. I don't think it's optional mm-hmm. um, for ABB uh, and our shareholders and our board. This is not an optional discussion. It's an and discussion, mm-hmm. not an or discussion. I'm wondering um, when you work with your clients, do you is carbon emissions a prerequisite? I suppose, in who you decide to work with or whom you decide to service. How does that play out? Yeah, I mean, um, so our coal business, for example, is a pretty small part of ABB's portfolio overall. Most of it is installed base, and we're certainly going to continue to take care of our customers that have these assets on the ground. I mean, uh, the developing countries uh, rely heavily on coal. I mean, here in Malaysia, there's still maybe a third of the of the power generation comes from coal. Uh, and, and so um, we have to continue to service that and take care of it. But can we make even that greener 
So can we put carbon capture on top of it and then do something with the uh, gray hydrogen that comes from that? Can we reduce the energy consumption that that plant is taking in order to produce that amount of energy? So there's still things that we can do with that piece of technology, but it does go into who we work with and how we work with them. I mean, we're trying to make mining companies. We're trying to help mining companies become greener with electrifying their fleets. So what can we do instead of using diesel fuel? What can we do? Um, with electrifying, same with um, marine, so hydrogen propulsion uh, instead of diesel. And so we, we have a lot of these that are happening with customers really all over the world right now. Uh, and I think, again, our job, net additions, lower emissions, how do we have an impact on the footprint? Hmm. I heard in one of your interviews that ABB had a target of securing 30% of revenues from environmentally friendly clients by 2030. Correct me if I'm wrong. Yep. I mean, is that still the goal? And how far are you away from achieving that? Yeah, in my business specifically, so it was my commitment that I made at our capital markets day, which is when we talked to our shareholders and things, that I wanted at least 30% of our revenues to be environmentally friendly industries or offerings. So what we're doing in order to have this net additions with lower emissions. Um, we're about probably 17% uh, right now, and the goal was by 2030. And the reason I set that goal for 2030 was that by 2030, 30% of the energy won't be coming from totally green sources. Uh, so if we can exceed 30% of our revenues by then across our industries that we serve, we'd really be in a leadership position around this energy transition. And so that was the goal of, of 30 by 30, uh, essentially. I'm speaking to Brandon Spencer, president of ABB Energy Industries. When we come back, what are the opportunities that he's eyeing in Southeast Asia and Malaysia? Stay tuned. BFM 89.9. You are listening to The Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G makes business sense. Thanks for staying tuned to The Breakfast Grill. I'm Shazana Mokhtar, and with me on the show today is Brandon Spencer, president of ABB Energy Industries, a division of ABB, the Swedish-Swiss Engineering and Technology MNC. So, Brandon, I'd like to maybe talk a little bit about ABB's finances. Based on your latest quarterly earnings, uh, process automation, that umbrella segment that you're under, it contributes about 20% of ABB's total revenues. Right. How much of this is attributable to energy industries? Yeah, I mean, we don't go into the breakdown for each of our divisions. We're the largest division within process automation, uh, and so we have a, a great contribution to the overall numbers. Um, and what we see from our Q2 results, you know, some single-digit growth on orders, double-digit growth on revenues, and, and really trying to keep that focus on profitability and having a healthy company. And I think we're contributing really well to overall process automation. The company has a target of reaching at least 15% operational EBITDA margins, which the process automation segment achieved in the recent Q2. Has your division in particular achieved that? Yeah, I mean, like I said, we're a big contributor to overall process automation. And so I, I think um, not only did process automation um, deliver on that 15%, but ABB as a group delivered on that 15%. Uh, operational EBITDA. And that was our, our CEO's kind of goal when he came into ABB to make it more predictable, more stable, uh, and uh, and try and get the profitability in, in the right corridor. And uh, we've been on that mission. Um, we started from certainly lower in the target ranges, and now we're into the target ranges for the group. What's going to determine whether you can maintain this ratio moving forward? For energy industries in particular, what kind of headwinds or what kind of factors are going to go into uh, managing your costs? Yeah, I mean, so always important, obviously, to manage the cost. But I think the industries that we serve, you know, some of these new technologies are trying to get up to scale, and there's very uh, intense commercial pressures in order to make them feasible for the customer. So if choosing to invest in a green hydrogen project over maybe a traditional oil and gas project, 
Uh, and so we certainly see some price pressure out there for some of the energy transition topics. So we have to manage that carefully. We have to make sure that we take care of our customers and the installed base service and these sort of things. And then execution. I mean, um, my group executes large projects. Our projects could range from you know, a couple hundred thousand dollars to hundreds of millions of dollars. And uh, and making sure that we work with the right vendors, that we do things right with our customers, uh, and that we have the expertise in-house to execute, really important for us to manage our risk. These are some of these projects take three, four, five years until they're deployed. Mm -hmm. uh, you know, look at what's changed in the last three, four, five years uh, for all of us, and, and then imagine running a business in that environment. So there's plenty of challenges, uh, but I think overall we've, we've proven pretty consistent in the last couple of years. So let's take a look at uh, your presence in the region then. How much does APEC make up your business? Give me a sense of what your presence uh, in Malaysia in particular sure. versus other uh, countries in the region. Sure. I mean, for my business, it's kind of about a third, a third, a third between the Americas, Europe, uh, Middle East, and then Asia. Um, we've decided to move our headquarters from uh, from Singapore into KL, so we have our headquarters for the region uh, out of here, and uh, and lots of great talent partnering with some of the universities and everything to do recruiting. Um, but we believe uh, very much in Southeast Asia. Um, you know, kind of China, we handle a little bit. It's it's part of our Asia team, and so uh, the person that leads Asia for me runs that. Um, but we also handle China a little bit um, uh, separate from the rest of Asia. But huge growth opportunities uh, in terms of changing over the power mix. So going from more coal dominated to uh, obviously gas, and then what we're doing, uh, what we see with offshore wind, what we see with renewables, with hydro, all of these things big in play, especially even here in Malaysia. I mean, the renewables that are here, hydro is a big deal here. Moving towards solar, big effort in carbon capture, uh, as well as some nice subsurfaces here to uh, to capture that carbon and be able to monetize it. So some maybe carbon hubs and these sort of things, which are part of the uh, plan that I think the government has rolled out. Um, and, and so... Uh, big opportunity for us. I would say probably largest growth region for us is here in Asia. Can you talk to me a little bit about the differences in terms of demand, I suppose, for ABB energy industries when you compare developed and developing markets? Yeah. yeah. What are the different pressures um, that you contend with when dealing with a richer country versus sure. a poorer one? Sure. I mean, I think maturity of the market, so legislation, how it is to get permitting and all these sort of things done and have the project actually go. Uh, I, I think is certainly one thing. What we see now is that uh, some of the more developed countries have launched uh, a little bit more sophisticated, probably, uh, incentive schemes. So the IRA or the Green Deal that's now happening. And then other countries are now responding to those sort of things. But we see those maybe happen a little bit faster or capital flow a little bit faster to some of those developed uh, um, uh, countries. Uh, so I think those are some of the things. And then we have to make sure that in any country that we work in, um, that we do things with integrity. Uh, and that's a certainly an important thing for us. We've had uh, our own sets of challenges there in the past, and, and we don't run away from those things. We, we have to own those things. But we have to make sure that in all countries that we work in, uh, we're doing clean business. Hmm. Can I talk a little bit about um, the opportunities that you see here in Malaysia? And sure. you did mention uh, the National Energy Transition, Transition Roadmap that was launched recently. Right. Given that uh, you're headquartered in KL, would it be safe to say that Malaysia forms the bulk of your business? 
business in the Southeast Asia region, or how does that picture look like? Yeah, so right now, I would say probably a little bit more comes out of Singapore right now because that's where we run our FPSO business. So the FPSO market is very large right now, uh, whether it's floating LNG, uh, FPSO, that sort of thing. So that, those are tend to be bigger packages, big electrification packages and big solutions that we deliver. So the volume is higher. Um, but we're now doing more and more engineering, uh, certainly here out of Malaysia. Uh, and I think if you look at the opportunities from a greenfield standpoint, great opportunities in Malaysia around carbon capture, around green hydrogen, around hydro, um, and even on the gas side or, or offshore side, uh, we've got great projects going. So um, really across the whole value chain that my business has in energy, we see it at play here in Malaysia. I mean, even... Um, uh, geothermal, biomass. Uh, we're leveraging what we've done in Japan. We've been very successful in Japan on biomass, and we're leveraging that into Malaysia uh, in order to deliver those solutions here. So again, it's that and equation that I've mentioned a couple of times. We see that whole value chain probably at play specifically here in Malaysia. And are your partners here, are they mostly local players or mostly MNCs? What kind of mix is that in terms of your clients? Yeah, I, I mean, it's... Uh, so I don't know the exact mix off the top of my head, but if you look at the oil and gas majors, the, the NOCs and things that are here, if you look at the utility companies that are here, the EPC partners that we have here, uh, other OEMs that we supply to. So, I mean, there is a very local, there is a little bit of a certain global flair to it, but there is a local nature to, I think, the market here in Malaysia. Can I ask you what you think are the headwinds for energy industries? I mean, the global economic outlook remains hazy. Interest rates are expected to remain higher for longer. Do you see that hampering energy investment outlooks in this region? Yeah, I mean, I think the interest rates or the inflation side is a challenge. I mean, especially in some of the developing countries, we've seen inflation that can be 30, 40, 50, 100 percent. I mean, the, that, that makes for a very difficult environment first to predict stability and to have investment in. So I think there are headwinds around uh, the inflation side. The demand is there. Um, and, uh, and so that looks relatively robust in terms of what's needed. Uh, like I said, energy consumption will go up. I mean, um, as countries develop, uh, if you look at China across the last 20 years, their GDP has gone from, say, 2,000 to 11,000. Their energy consumption has tripled. Uh, and so as countries develop, they require more energy. Well, we have to do it greener. Mm. We don't have a choice uh, to do it greener. We as a society, uh, but certainly that's our belief at ABB that we have to help do it greener. Uh, but I think uh, then the other thing I'd say is making sure legislation, that there's consistency. Uh, I mean, I don't make a habit of talking about politics, um, but I think we have to make sure that there's a consistency in policy to push these initiatives forward and to give the right either incentives, penalties, whatever it is, in order for us to, to develop these markets. So I think those are probably two of the things that I would say are a little bit of headwinds as we look across our industries. So you mentioned this earlier, uh, Brandon, I'm going to end with this. I mean, ABB was fined by the U.S. Securities and Exchange Commission last December for bribery in its South Africa operations. Mm -hmm. This isn't the first time ABB has fallen foul of such laws. Yep. So how has the most recent case resulted in changes to governance and oversight mechanisms in the organization, which you did mention that this is clean business is something that you're... Yeah, I mean, look, my message to my organization is I'd rather have no business than dirty business. Um, and uh, and I think it starts from messaging at the top. I think our management team is very in tune with that. We were the whistleblower in Kusili, um, and uh, that doesn't make it right, but, uh, but we were the whistleblower. 
Uh, and then we've launched a new code of conduct, new training policies, new oversight, uh, reporting that we do monthly back to the DOJ, SEC, and other various entities in order to show how serious we are. So we call it integrity on the business agenda. Um, that's what we call it at ABB. And it means you can't operate. If you can't do things safely, if you can't do things with integrity, then you cannot operate. And I, and I think it has to be more than just talking about it. We have to actually live that. And that's certainly what we're doing in my business. And, and for me, it's not only my own reputation, but it's the brand of ABB. And so we take it very serious. Brandon, thank you very much for speaking with me today. Yeah, it was a pleasure. Thank you for having us. I've been speaking to Brandon Spencer, president of ABB Energy Industries. This has been The Breakfast Grill on BFM 89.9. The BFM Breakfast Grill, brought to you by U-Mobile. 5G makes business sense. You have been listening to a podcast from BFM 89.9, The Business Station. For more stories of the same kind, download the BFM app.